Welcome to The Student Sums It Up. I'm Maggie McNamara. And I'm Olivia Giger. And every Wednesday, we'll give you the lowdown on Amherst College's latest news. In the news today, we discuss the college's efforts to vaccinate the student population with its on-campus vaccine clinic. And we pivot to coverage of the final lecture in the series on politics and poetry, this time featuring former editor of The Washington Post, Martin Barron. It's Wednesday, May 5th. We start by talking about Amherst's efforts to vaccinate its students on campus. Lynn Lee brings us that story today. Hey, Lynn, can you set the scene for us? Tell us about how this vaccination clinic went down last week. Yeah, so the clinic was set up in College Cage, and students were sent a link um, a few days beforehand in which they were able to sign up for of slot to go get the shot after providing some information about their demographics and insurance. And students were also instructed to pick up the required consent forms from the testing center when they went to get their regularly scheduled COVID test prior to the day of the vaccination clinic. On the day of the clinic, students were asked to show up about 10 minutes early to their appointment just so all their paperwork could be checked in. Once all their paperwork was approved, they received a vaccination card and were able to get the shot. Do you have an idea of how many students were vaccinated that Wednesday? Yes, so 336 students as well as 40 two staff and faculty members were vaccinated at the clinic. Oh, that's amazing. And did you talk to any students who uh, attended the clinic and got vaccinated? How did the process go for them? Sophie Wilmer, who wrote the article, did interview a few of the students who were at the clinic. Overall, the students had good experiences. They said the process was really straightforward from signing up to going to get the shot, and a few of them experienced some of the typical symptoms of the first dose, like a little bit of fatigue as well as soreness in the arm that they got the shot in. But on the whole, students were really happy that the college was able to offer such a convenient way for a large number of students to get vaccinated. I know that the college announced this clinic after saying for quite a long time that students would be on their own to find vaccinations and and get their vaccines off campus. So did you encounter any students who were frustrated or surprised by this change on after receiving this messaging from the administration for so long about whether or not they would be able to get the vaccine here? One student mentioned being pleasantly surprised when he received the news that he was just about to schedule his vaccine appointment off campus when he heard about the on-campus vaccination clinic, and it just made the process a lot more accessible and easy for him. Other students I've talked to who weren't necessarily interviewed for the article that that they kind of wished they had waited for the vaccine clinic, but they had already gotten their first dose by the time the college announced the news. From the administration side, did you learn anything or did this article share anything about what the process of getting the vaccines and actually setting up this clinic was like? Can you help shed some light on perhaps why the administration was so hesitant to come forward and say that they were planning on getting vaccines and set this up? 
I think it was pretty spur of the moment. I talked to yeah. Sandy Janelius, and they didn't really even know the official numbers until I asked, and she had to compile them for me. So I think it was like very last minute, and there was just a set amount of doses the four colleges in the Valley got, and they just split them evenly. And that was that. What other statistical information did they share besides the number of doses that they received and the number that they gave out. Sandy talked to me about the percentage of faculty and staff that is currently vaccinated on campus in terms of the number of doses that they've received, either one or two. And I think right now 83% of staff and faculty have begun the vaccination process and 95% of students have started it. That's an amazing percentage. So could, could you tell us a little bit about who, who was administering the vaccines and how the campus was able to logistically pull this off? Yeah, so the vaccines were actually administered by PowerMed's Pharmacy, which is based out of Waltham, Massachusetts. And staff from the health center as well as the testing center were also present at the vaccination clinic to facilitate the process. Thanks so much. And thanks for sharing this story with us, Sophie and Lynn. We really appreciate your coverage of this great mark of progress in the college's path to getting over COVID. On a different note, this past Thursday, there was a conversation titled Politics and Poetry, a conversation with former Washington Post executive editor, Martin Barron. Sophie, could you tell us a little bit about the event? Yeah, totally. Thanks for having me back. The college hosted its final event in the virtual series, Politics and Poetry, and Louis Sebring, Professor of Humanities and Latin American and Latino Culture, Elon Stevans, he interviewed Martin Barron for this event. And Martin Barron has been the executive editor of three of the most prominent newspapers in the country, the Miami Herald, the Boston Globe, and the Washington Post. First in the conversation, he really talked about his background. He was born in Tampa, Florida, but he went to college at Lehigh University. And after that, he got an MBA and went into the field of executive journalism. And so he spoke a little bit about what it means to be an executive editor of a newspaper. From there, he started to speak about the existence of objective truth, tensions that go on in the newsroom, the overall trend towards digital news platforms, and the crisis that is currently occurring in local journalism, where newspapers are disappearing at the local level. Were there any standout conversations from this event? Yeah, I guess one point that really stuck with me was his conversation regarding objectivity and he referenced kellyanne conway's infamous comment about there being facts and alternative facts and at first he mocked it in a sense but then he used it to shed light on the fact that he does believe that there is an objective reality and that we rely on certain elements in order to create that objective reality for ourselves. For example, education, expertise, actual evidence that puts facts into context. And he believes that this objective reality shapes the field of journalism and is crucial in giving information to the general public. How did this event resonate with current issues faced both nationally and locally at the college? The event was actually a part of a politics and poetry course that Stevans is teaching right now. So students that I spoke to really thought that analyzing poetry and politics is crucial and that there's this really important aspect of private corporations being involved in the media that we consume. And especially for students 
who rely on a lot of this information for their classes, for their education. We have to acknowledge that corporate America plays a large role in the information that we're consuming. So that was an interesting thing that Haran Tong noted in an interview. So you did discuss how this was part of an overall bigger class? Yeah, politics and poetry class. And Stevans teaches that. So he was hosting these conversations and this series that's directly linked to the class. And all of the students within that class are attending the events and providing questions to shape the conversations with the guests. What was the student reaction to the talk? Overall, students really enjoyed it. I know Corey Goldstein, who's also a student in the politics and poetry class, he thought it was really it was really memorable how Stevan spoke about the hyperpolarization of politics and how it's the role of news organizations to not just affirm pre-existing beliefs that people already have, but also to inform them of those that they may not consider to be relevant or true to their own lives. So it's almost as if news outlets are failing their reporting duties if they're not willing to confront the reader with certain uncomfortable truths that exist in our world. Is this the last of the events hosted by this class? I believe so. I think this was the final edition. There were several amazing speakers that did come. Some of those included New York Times colonist David Brooks, Pulitzer Prize winning poet Jerrica Brown, U.S. Poet Laureate Joy Harjo, and there were also two social linguists who came. All of these re- recordings are available on the Point Counterpoint webpage with the link you can find in the article. Thank you so much for talking with us today, Sophie. No problem. Anytime. <laughs> A special thanks to the team at The Student, including Becca Pachoto, Maggie McNamara, Zach Jonas, Sophie Wolmer, and Lynn Lee. I'm Olivia Giger. This has been an Amherst Student Production.